What's up? This is the You Are Not Listening to This Podcast. My name is Will James, and uh, I hate daylight savings time. <laughs> I know, a controversial take, right? No, it really messes up my sleep rhythms. Like, I'm, I'm still theoretically going to bed at the same time I normally go to bed. Like, ad- adjusted, right? But I'm waking up a solid three hours too early. Like, yesterday morning, in my solo insomnia time, somewhere around 3.40 or so, uh, I did what everyone else does in that situation, I assume. And I watched some scientifically educational videos on YouTube. <laughs> and what what started off as a question of can light be black, uh, which it can, by the way, led to these existential questions like what is color in the first place? And then I came across this video on a page called Vsauce, which is a little awkward channel, but a lot of good stuff there. And it was about whether or not we can ever know what each other experience as colors. Like the scientific answer to that old philosophical debate that we probably all had at some point in somebody else's dorm room. But it's wildly interesting to me that we can, we all learn and we agree as to what red is by being shown things that we have decided are a color that we call red. But there is no way to know whether what you experience as red, to my eyes, is also red, or would be what you experience as, say, green. Like the experience of color is not objective. Colors, in some physical sense, aren't real. They're created in our minds, as the video said. Like we know what colors are, but we actually can't describe them to a person who has never had sight. Not well enough that they could experience it themselves. If a person has never seen color, the hotness of red, the coldness of blue makes no sense. We can't explain colors to anyone or anything that can't experience them. Pain is the same way. Taste. Like the concept that came up there was something in philosophy called qualia. Now, I'm not well versed in it. Again, I heard about this for the first time yesterday. But it's an interesting level of consciousness that humanity is in. We have these ideas of what something is like. But we can't really express those things without consideration of how those things make us feel. Like the taste of coffee has a qualia. But the warmth and comfort caused by my tasting coffee doesn't. That's my experience of the taste. It's my opinion. You also probably know what coffee tastes like, but you don't know what it tastes like to me. And you never can. And even though we can compare other things that coffee tastes like, we often disagree on those comparisons. And if we do agree... What we've really done is just proven that two people think two things taste like each other, but we haven't proven that we've experienced the same taste. 
For instance, one thing people find odd about me is that I don't like chocolate. And I don't mean that I watch my sugar intake or I care about my nutrition. No, I put apple juice in my cinnamon toast crunch. I'll give you a minute. My point is I, I legit don't like chocolate. I think it tastes bitter, often burnt, like really bad coffee. Now, I also don't like bitter things or most burnt things, and I don't eat them very often. So what I perceive as bitter and burnt is kind of already locked in my mind from whatever or whenever, and my experience of chocolate fits in those descriptors. Now, when I explain that, people seem to understand what I'm saying. Like, I've, I've even heard that there are genetic markers that explain why those flavors come forward more when I taste chocolate than other people. But what I can't really know for sure is whether or not chocolate tastes different to me or if what I consider good is just different from you. Like chocolate is not good, but that's obviously a subjective statement. But for me, it's true. I can't change it. I don't understand why you want to eat it any more than you don't understand why I don't or why I do that to my cereal. The point is, we both know what it's like to taste chocolate, even though our experiences of what chocolate tastes like are different. We can't really explain taste. We can just compare it. We can contrast it. Like, I don't like chocolate, but I'll eat a soft, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie with a big smile on my face, because that's chocolate done right. Just like espresso is good coffee, but office strip isn't. Some experience of things, good and bad, are only going to further complicate things because they aren't only difficult to explain, they also tend to establish levels as life goes on. So back to pain. We all know what a headache feels like, but we can't know what someone else's headache feels like. Unless, of course, they complain and compare that pain to some other pain that we've both felt. Even then, we can't be sure that we agree as to what that other thing felt like either, not to mention the question of comparative pain tolerances or how connected to our emotions or present in our bodies we are in general or during the conversations where we're comparing things. But we do know for ourselves when something hurt but not nearly as bad as that other thing. Levels. I watched a video the other day from a lady from Tulsa. She was talking about having bore the pain of losing her mother as a child. But suddenly the other morning while getting her cup of coffee, she just didn't feel the pain of it anymore. This steady ache loss that she carried for decades, not knowing how to put it down if she tried or wanted to, that had been a touchstone, this pain was just gone. The thing she compared all other pain to, benchmark, her way of internally dealing with or repressing every pain since, 
gone. And the, and the post was like that. You know, it wasn't joyful or sad. It was real. There was grief in the loss of the pain, the blade and the shield of being able to say, yeah, this hurts, but it's not like when mom died. She gets to feel other things now, but she also has to feel other things now. And you can't explain that concept to a creature that spontaneously arrives with no past or no family or no pain receptors. We can't program Siri to feel Jill's story. Not because AI is going to be inferior, but because we as humans attempting to build programs that would advance AI can't explain this stuff ourselves. We are always comparing. And it's a part of something I, I just learned yesterday. It's called the explanation gap. I can't explain to you what red is. I can just tell you that strawberries, some apples, fire trucks, and stop signs are what I call red. People with fancy big brains can tell you that at some point in time after we all agreed on what things are red, that red is really just a segment of those certain wavelengths of light that our brain can perceive as what we call color, and that most people, depending on color or full blindness, call that certain range of wavelengths of light red. What I can't know is what red actually looks like through someone else's eyes. We can never know that your red is really my green because we can't properly explain color. What we are seeing are the different things around us reflecting different wavelengths of the light that is around us. That's why everything is essentially black in the dark and why some outfits matched perfectly in your bedroom mirror, but have you out here looking crazy in the sunlight? So why am I, why am I butchering this high-minded philosophical concept with a 5 a.m. double espresso after waking up at a 3 a.m. time frame brain? Because I'm sitting there learning what the qualia of colors are versus our experience of them, and I couldn't help but think about applying that to religion, spirituality, how the concept of gods, divinity, something more than this, or whatever you want to call it, seems to be this common touchstone throughout the history of humanity's at least written record. From cave walls tablets of ancient civilizations to science fiction movies being filmed right now. Like we've shown a propensity to believe and perceive something more, attempt to express that thing for as long as we've been gathered together to tell stories at all. But there's an explanation gap. Religions have tried to tell our stories and our words fail us. As many as we have, there's simply not enough to bring the colors to life. And that causes tension. Tension that we don't always handle appropriately. Some of us are staring at the same green walls, arguing, it's not green, it's pear. No, 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 it's chartreuse. 
not realizing we can't explain what any of those things are. Not in reality, just how we perceive them. Others refuse to understand that chocolate tastes bitter to some of us. They keep offering us their lava cake and telling us we're crazy. That pain's not that bad. Get over it. Sometimes the things we use to describe the qualia of divine things just doesn't register with others' experience of those divine things. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good is a lovely and familiar catchphrase from my religious tradition, cultural tradition. But it doesn't compute as true for everyone's experience to the grieving mother who was told God needed a new angel. God is not good all the time. So we must not be talking about the same thing. Or take the theology of praying for favor, right? Pray for favor, that job, that promotion, that car, that partner, that house you want. Pray to the Lord for his favor and see what God won't do. If that message feels one way, when you pulled up to the service in your late model car, your nice suit, shoes, money in the bank, credit cards in your wallet, maybe even a familial safety net if something goes wrong. But it feels a little bit different on your own when your tithe is all that's left after the bills. And that's the same thing that the pastor said last year. Or the gods that cause you to lose your keys in the morning. You were mad that you were off late on the trip. Then you repented to that same God and thanked him for those cursed keys after your family missed the 10 car pileup. Those gods chose to protect you instead of making the guy that caused it lose his keys and protecting everybody. The home team and the away team prayed during the last minute field goal. So I guess God clearly has a favorite in this rivalry. And it's not always personal. It works interdenominationally too, right? Within Protestantism, evangelicalism, we judge each other's beliefs and lists of do's and don'ts. But we also judge each other's expressions of worship, you know, too liturgical, not liturgical enough, too loud, too many drums and guitars, no music at all. Too focused on Jesus, not enough Old Testament wrath. Like I, I held a fairly strong bias against those people in Christian traditions that spoke in tongues. Like we were warned to stay clear of y'all. <laughs> and it's this idea that unfamiliar expressions must come from, I guess, a different kind of spirit, right? God doesn't do that. God doesn't cause people to speak in a way that no one would understand. When God caused the apostles to speak in tongues, those in the crowd heard their own language. and Everyone understood everything. Like that was always the argument that we were having with no one. <laughs> that was simply not something anyone in my religious circles was familiar with, making it to me seem inauthentic. And it takes a bit of reflection to understand that what I perceive God to be and God to do have been assigned these experiential attributes and restrictions 
so that I could try to express and explain an unexplainable thing. He was given a range of wavelengths. But there's a gap between how I experience something as being and what that thing is. It's not up to me to decide how you experience what you call God, because I don't know how that experience has ingrained in you. Let me try a thought experiment. Okay, let's, let's say I'm a very simplistically minded organism, but I look like a full human. Like maybe that's not too much of a stretch, <laughs> but, but let's say I'm, I'm as mentally developed as a two and a half year old, but I am me. I'm in my late thirties. I've never been outside of this gray room sitting in this gray chair that I'm sitting in right now. And someone has come into my room every day in gray scrubs, the same colors, the walls, the floors, the ceiling. I've never really been taught anything, but every day this person brings me an apple. They tell me, apple, red, eat it. Every time, every day. If tomorrow they bring me a strawberry, is there a likelihood I won't believe that it's red? It won't look like my apple. It won't taste like one. Instead of a crisp and crunchy bite, it's going to be soft and juicy. It won't be what I've experienced as red, which I've associated with the sight, taste, and texture of what would clearly be the most important thing in my day. Similarly, in my church experiences, when you feel whatever it is that people feel when someone says that they are feeling the spirit moving, you might hear someone spontaneously utter something like, Amen. Say that, preacher. Hallelujah. You might see someone stand up from your pew, maybe wave their hands over their head. They might cry. But no one ever, not once, spoke in tongues. And if someone spoke in tongues on something we were watching on TV or whatever, there was a visible reaction to it. However, I feel something sometimes that is the feeling that I felt when they would say that the spirit was moving and I have attached observing their outward expressions to my inward experience. Those instincts are still there. I'm not in traditional church settings very often anymore. But... Uh, month or so, I forget how long ago it was, after a commutation hearing for Julius Jones. I found myself in an old black church in the city with my guy, Larry Crudup, starting to sing songs of hope and victory and struggle spontaneously, speaking to the win of the day and the fight that remains, remains right now. So call the governor. Stop the execution. But there I was with my hands in the air. Say that, preacher. I don't even do that. <laughs> but I did. See, the people that speak in tongues grew up in communities where people speak in tongues. It's their say that, preacher. They came to associate a certain type of outward expression with an internal feeling 
based on their experiences in their communities. Their strawberry doesn't feel or taste like my apple. So I'm just not quite sure it's red. But at the same time, I can't truly be sure the other people that only eat apples are experiencing the same tastes and smells or even the view of that apple that I am. In the same way that observing a foreign expression of spirit feels inauthentic by comparison to a familiar one, I can be no more certain that someone whose familiar outward expressions of spirit is feeling the same thing I do or thinking of God or the wisdom of scripture the same way as I do. And a lot of people found that out over the past few election cycles, right? Religion, tradition, they serve their purposes. They have their place in the world. But I think we need to gather better grasps as to what they are. They are attempts to explain the experience of something that simply cannot be explained. Those of us raised in fundamentalist circles are basically claiming that God is not red. Not because red is too narrow. Red is too general, too broad. God's more of a raspberry than anything, but he's definitely not maroon. And the more certainty we carry, the more specific the shade, and the less likely we are to spot it. Or know if we spotted it right. A hat that looks raspberry in the sunlight might look a little maroon once you stand in some shade. Like how light reflects off of something affects how you perceive it. But again, color isn't a physical property. It's a range of wavelengths of visible light that we perceive as different colors. It's what our mind does with the light. It's not the light itself nor is it the full spectrum of light that there is just what is visible to us. If you really want to get weird, look into something called color constancy and how our eyes basically fully trick us at all times. Like you can, you can find pictures reflecting only white and red light that appear to your eyes to be full color, greens, blues, yellows, Whatever. Even, even though the only wavelengths of color actually being reflected are red. Scenic views of trees along a lakeside with mountains in the back will appear to show you blue water, blue skies, snowy mountaintops, even green leaves. But nothing on the image isn't just a shade of red. Being told there's no color in the images other than red doesn't change the fact that you still see the other colors. We see what we see because that's what our mind expects to see. But what we're seeing is an illusion. Our mind's biases and memories make things look familiar to us even when the data that's meant to support it is lacking. There are other optical experiments with color. You may have seen this one. It's, it's a light gray and dark gray chessboard with a gray cylinder standing on it, taking up like a third of it, casting a shadow on the back half, splitting the table basically into three different shadings. 
So in the shadow of the cylinder, the light gray boxes are actually the same color of gray as the dark gray boxes that are not in the shadow. You can stare at it all day. You won't notice it, but if you erase everything on the page but those two squares, they are identical. But with the other shades of gray surrounding each of them, you can't recognize that they are the same. In another experiment, two multicolored poles are joined together with a gray connector piece. The piece in both pictures, there's two pictures of two poles, it's gray. One of the pictures has a yellow filter over it, the other has a blue filter over it. In the yellow filtered picture, that central connecting piece appears purple. In the blue filtered picture, that connecting piece appears bright yellow. In both pictures, that connecting object is actually gray. It's always the same color. It's the filter you're using to look at it. Whatever end of the color spectrum your perspective is from alters your perception of the thing. But the thing itself didn't change, but neither color that you saw was the color the object really was. When our gods must be the kinds of things that are kings on thrones, requiring certain worship in a certain way based on specific dates or charts or theories based on assumptions and questionable interpretive practices built on the premise that everyone is wrong but you and you from people you know were wrong but were somehow wrong in a way that led them to actually being right then God has become a very narrow range of wavelength of light. So is that true? Or what you perceive? Might our gods be standing in the shade? Might they appear different if our perspective was changed? Might they appear different if we more readily understood that our perceptions are very much not the fullness of reality? At the same time, if I give you information that makes it seem like you're seeing some things that aren't really there, aren't you still likely to see them anyway? That's how our eyes work. Our beliefs about the things surrounding our gods affect the perceived shade and brightness of those gods. They change their color. The filters we view the world through articulate what kinds of gods we'll look for and what kind we'll find. Or rather, the god filters many of us are given to look through articulate what kind of world we believe we are living in. Who is for us? Who is against us? Whose team wears red? Whose team wears green? What if the idea that there was one shade of God, one shade of truth, one shade of spirit was itself the deception. The shade you saw when you came to believe or were brought to where belief resides established your one perspective. You were likely told explicitly or implicitly that that shade was undeniably God, truth, infallible. Just like you were told an apple is red. Not all apples are red. 
Many things are red that are not apples. And to various extremes, we were told that everyone else's experience of God is not God. Every other set of wavelengths is not red. Every other shade of red is not this red. And the only red that is, the only red that matters is the red you see when you see God the way you were taught to see God, for better or for worse. So I guess, you know, wear your red or take it off. But understand that you can't know how those around you perceive that color. And that entire color might be ugly to some of us. Some of us feel green is the more divine in a fit. And if your red is my green, then maybe we are actually agreeing on divine things. We just we disagree on their color. A thing we can't really explain in the first place. At the same time, if you are open to other people's experiences and traditions, you may find the color of their divinity start to give off familiar hues. Or you may find that there's some red stitching in the lining of my sweater and there's a green logo in your shirt pocket. Those of us mourning the loss of our hues, we can sit and lament in the dark, in black, Together, everything belongs. I love you, even though I don't know you. This is the one.